back to today's episode of the One Play Sports Podcast. My name is David Hebener, and I'm your host. We had an exciting week in sports this past week. There was a 5 OT thriller in Game 1 of the series between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Columbus Blue Jackets in the Stanley Cup playoffs. It was the fourth longest game in Stanley Cup playoff history. The game took over six hours to complete and had over 150 minutes of gameplay. To put that into perspective, a regular season hockey game is 60 minutes with a five-minute OT, and if they still don't have a winner after overtime, they go to a shootout to determine a winner. Not in the playoffs, though. They just play till someone scores eventually, as clearly that's what happened with this game. That's why I love playoff hockey so much. The competitive spirit of the game, the pace, the aggressiveness, just everything about it I love so much. It's definitely my favorite playoffs of the four major sports for sure. The game even went so long that it delayed the Bruins and Hurricanes game that was scheduled to start around 8 o'clock Eastern to 11 o'clock the next morning which is nuts. But, I mean, that's kind of what we got to deal with with the teams playing in the bubbles. They've never had this issue before because all of these teams were playing all across the United States and Canada. They've never had more than two teams playing in one arena on any given night. But now they're all playing in either Edmonton or Toronto, and they've kind of got to deal with logistical issues like this, which we've never seen before. It's just something they got to deal with. I mean, it's 2020. For sports to happen, this is the type of environment they have to be in. And if that's that, then that's what they got to do. Just some of the crazy stats from the game that I noticed were Columbus goaltender Jonas Corposalo had 85 saves, which is an NHL playoff record for saves. Looking back on it now, the Blue Jackets definitely look smart not re-signing Sergei Bobrovsky to a massive contract after Corposalo's performance on that night because they got one of the best performances in Stanley Cup playoff history out of somebody that was Bobrovsky's backup and they didn't have to pay him a crap ton of money, which is definitely smart on on the Blue Jackets for sure. And Columbus defenseman Seth Jones broke the record for total ice time with over an hour at 65 minutes. And Lightning defenseman Victor Hedman had 57 minutes of total ice time as well, which is pretty remarkable. The Lightning weren't even sure if Victor Hedman was going to play in that game because he was coming off an injury from the game against the Philadelphia Flyers in the round-robin play. The Lightning's Braden Point ended up scoring the game winner in the fifth overtime. It's amazing to see how even if players are on the ice for that long, they always have the energy when somebody eventually does score the game winner to go celebrate with their team and be happy that they finally, like the game is over and they can go recover and then get ready for the next game. But one of the best parts of that game was the social media content from the different teams because obviously they've never had a situation like this before where the first game delayed the second game. So there were, it was everybody from the Bruins and the Hurricanes social accounts to the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Tampa Bay Lightning and the NHL and NBC's Twitter account even got in on the action a little bit. The memes were very strong, the just the banter and having fun with the situation because nothing like this has ever happened before. So they were taking advantage of it and just having fun with it. And I don't blame them. I saw a stat on Twitter the next day that said the Hurricanes gained over 7,000 new followers in one day. There wasn't even a game day. The Hurricanes impressions and engagement were up as high, if not higher, than if they had a game that day. The teams made the best of the situation. I mean, that's all they really can do. 
it's 2020. I wouldn't expect anything else to happen. I mean, who knows what we're going to see next. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner as well. The first round will start on August 17th, which is the day this podcast will be released. Both the East and the Western Conference playoff matchups are locked in, and it looks like it's going to be one heck of a playoff series for sure. The There was a battle between the 8 seed and the 9 seed with the Portland Trailblazers and the Memphis Grizzlies on Saturday, and the Portland Trailblazers came out on top. Melo hit a couple clutch threes down the end. Dame obviously balled out. He got the bubble MVP or MVP of the seeding games. Monty Williams, head coach of the Suns, got the coach of the seeding games. I'm going to get into talking a little bit more about the NBA restart with my guest today. We talked about how we think the bubble is going as a whole, and then we also gave some first-round predictions as well. Um, We recorded this before the eight final seed in the West was determined. Um, So there was still a bit of a toss-up as to who would get the eight seed at that point. But with that being said, let's get into the interview. Last week, I got to talk to one of my friends, Casey Wishart, who is a part of the sports media world. Today, I'm going to talk to someone who is also a part of the sports media world. Today's guest is an associate producer for the Charlotte Hornets. He is a part of the same digital team that I interned with when I was with the organization this past fall. He is also a graduate of the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Please welcome to the show, Nick Bullock. What's happening, Diaz? Happy to be here. First off, let me say your podcast has drawn rave reviews within our digital team. We enjoy listening to it because, you know, during quarantine, things are slowed down a little bit. We have more time to do things we don't normally do. So we've enjoyed following your journey, launching this podcast. It's a really good platform uh, for people to share their thoughts on what's going on in the sports industry and also how to break into it as well. So first off, you're just doing a great job. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, Nick, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself so they can get to know you a little bit? You know, first off, listeners, I tend to be a little bit long-winded, so I'll cut it down just a little bit. But a little bit about me, I always grew up knowing that I wanted to work in sports. I think a lot of people believe that they they always, you know, they may start on a different path, but they always love sports. So um, why not turn a hobby uh, into a career? So I attended the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, say it again. I studied broadcast journalism and public policy. Broadcast was obviously my first and foremost priority. I just sort of had public policy in the back pocket, um, just as not, not necessarily a backup, but just something to strengthen. Um, you know, while I'm at that university, might as well take advantage of all the opportunities that it can bring. So to be able to double major, uh, was a good option for me. So yeah, uh, upon graduation in 2018, I was able to eventually take my talents to the Charlotte Hornets. I had a couple stops before then in the three months after graduation, but Mm -hmm. it all worked out and I ended up, uh, where I needed to be. That's awesome. How long have you known that you wanted to do video as a career? That's a, it's a really good question. And it's one that I think um, it's a different answer for a lot of people. But for me, um, when I first got into the broadcast side of things in school, you go into it not knowing all of the things that it takes to execute mm-hmm. the on-camera work, the off-camera work, the broadcast, the live hits, just everything that goes into it. So um, I found out pretty quickly on the broadcast track in school that it's mostly video. I would say when you study broadcast, it's 80% video capture 
and then video edits and then production and then um, eventually taking it to the screen. Um, and then the other 20% or 10% is telling a story. Okay. And then, you know, probably the littlest portion of it is actually what goes on on camera. That's probably mm-hmm. like 2% of the execution of it all, but it all happens behind the scenes. And I think that that is probably the main, like that's where the most of the jobs are in sports is being able to not only capture your video, but then edit, produce it, and then present it in a way that your audience is going to be captivated by it. So yeah, I mean, um, I didn't go into it knowing that video was going to be a huge part of it. But um, if you are to go on that track, that is what's going to be expected of you. And you learn to love it and you learn to um, learn and grow. You learn and grow with it. You obviously don't start knowing exactly what you're doing. I didn't know how to use Premiere going into school, but you're kind of thrown into it. And once you're thrown into it, you have to you just have to sort of roll with it. I had never yeah. used a video editing program uh, before 2016. Oh, wow. So, or 20, 2014. Wow. Throw you into the fire, huh? Yep. Out of the frying pan and into the fire. Good luck. Tell me a little bit about your time at UNC. Uh, my time at UNC was great. Obviously, it, it goes without saying the doors that can open for you going to a school that can um, support and host big time athletics. Because when you're talking about big time college athletics, it really shows that um, when you cover these events, it shows that you have been at the highest level possible on the college stage. Mm -hmm. So I think, I I really do think that prepared me to be able to interview well and accept uh, eventually the job with the Hornets because they knew that I had executed UNC sports as well as I could. And I had been around, you know, high level athletics and that shows that I'm not starstruck by what I'm going to see. Does that make sense? So it's like, I've been, it's, you know, I've covered UNC Duke, everything about that, but um, the broadcast track at UNC gives a, a great opportunity for students to take a camera, to take their notes, to go cover live sporting events. We are credentialed just as any other media would be credentialed. We oh, are right awesome. with the main media members. So you sort of, not only do you see them and learn how they operate, but you learn to develop your own workflow. So being able to go out to the games, shoot the games, cover the games, be in the press conferences, and even interview players uh, to a certain degree, all in college, and then going back and producing your work and then it eventually goes on our live show on Monday, that was a pretty good opportunity to experience the TV news side of things and then covering sports, uh, writing scripts, and just everything in the whole nine yards. A lot of people don't realize all that goes into it. I think UNC does a really good job of really just throwing everything at its students and giving them every opportunity they could want uh, to learn. And two, this is what I'll tell the listeners, a lot of it is you being willing to step outside of your comfort zone and accepting those challenges, okay? Because it's really easy not just to to say you're not going to do that and you're not going to take part in this stuff that takes place outside of the classroom because covering games is not part of your class, okay? You have to choose to want to go do that and to go shoot those things. So yeah, I just think it opened up a lot of doors for me to be able to talk about the experiences that I've had and um, everyone in the broadcast program had these experiences. So that's why I think if, not, if we're not the best broadcast school, David, we're one of the best along with Northwestern and Syracuse. Oh, for sure. No, definitely. I mean, I was the same way. Like when I worked at school, you know, I worked for a sports network kind of doing the same thing. Like it was an out of, cl- out of the classroom activity that, I mean, we got paid to help be a part of the broadcast crew and cover the games, but like it was also enforcing like what we were learning on the classroom and putting it at a higher level and gaining the performance professional experience as well. Yeah. And I I think it's totally necessary. I think if someone doesn't have that experience and is trying uh, to look for a job in the sports field, it'll probably be incredibly tough. So that, so if any, we have anyone from college listening, you really do need to get involved in whatever uh, programs that you have at your school that can add to your resume. Cause it's one thing to say you have a degree in this, 
but have you actually practiced this um, at a high level and, and done it in many different ways? So I think that's important. I take it you went to a couple of Duke UNC games. Like, what was the atmosphere like? And what was it like to be a part of one of the most iconic rivalries in sports history? Yeah, David. I mean, the first thing I'd say is that one of my old professors always said, you may beat the rap, but you may take a ride. Now, what does that mean? What in the world does that mean? It means you may beat the charges, but you may take a ride in a police car. And what he means by that is when you're a journalist, And when you are trying to push for a story and you're trying to lock down interviews and stuff of that nature, you may be in places that you may not necessarily need to be in, but you need to get that information for the story. So what he means by that is just when you're a journalist, you do need to push for things. You know, he's joking when he says, take a ride in a police car, but like the worst they can do is tell you to leave or the worst they can do is tell you no, that you can't do this. So um, the program I was in was called Sports Extra. And what we did is, was, like I said, and I've explained this, we go and cover games and then we report on the games for our live broadcast. Now, in about six or seven years uh, that the program has been a thing, we had never been able to go to Cameron Indoor Stadium and cover a game. They would not credential us. However, uh, they had a new SID, a sports information director, the time where we were trying to go cover the game. So they said, well, you can reach out to them, but I don't think we're going to get it. I said, well, let me just send him an email and and see what's going on. So I I just emailed him and he got back to me within the hour and said, how many spots do you need? I said, well, we just need one floor spot. So he gave us a seat right on the floor adjacent from the Duke bench. So we were on the floor at Cameron Indoor Stadium. All you had to do was ask. See, it doesn't matter how many times you're told no. It only takes one time to be told yes for you to be able to take an experience to the next level. So because of that, we were able to cover the game. It was when Grayson Allen and Bagley were there, but it was Grayson Allen's senior mm-hmm. night, I believe it was. Um, Duke ended up winning the game. Uh, naturally, it was their senior night. They couldn't lose that game. No. So it was a really good experience. The atmosphere is electric. And the last thing I'll say on the game, because I don't want to go too long, is that um, at halftime, I went to, into the media room, David, mm-hmm. okay? And so my person that was there with me covering the game, because we sent two people and alternated at halftime, I went into the uh, media room and he, he said something to me and I said, what are you saying? I can't hear you. I literally can't hear you because my ears were so just shot from the noise level in Cameron Indoor Stadium. It is truly the loudest place I have ever been. Now, that doesn't mean their fans are better than Carolina fans. It simply means they play in a high school gym. That's yeah. all that it is. So all the noise is so trapped. It doesn't mean they're louder. They are crazy. But that, it was just amazing that I couldn't hear. It took me a couple minutes for my ears to like recover from what they had experienced for that first you know, hour in the first half. So that, it was a fascinating experience. One that I won't forget for sure. Did you go to a game at um, the Dean Dome? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Pretty, uh, close to, you know, mo- if not all, most if of them. If not all of them. Yeah. Yeah. But that atmosphere was nuts too. No, that, yeah. That atmosphere is always nuts. Cause you know, at Carolina, it's basketball first. That That's our main sport at a lot of schools. It's football. Uh, as with Duke, it's basketball first there too. Yeah. Although Mac Brown is back and Carolina football has the number two recruiting class in the nation next year. So just putting that out there. Okay. We'll see how they do. <laughs> so how did you end up getting the internship with the Hornets? And like, what was the internship kind of like for you? The internship sort of came up faster than I thought it, than I thought it would. Um, upon graduation in 2018, there was about a three-month time frame where I was just applying for jobs. I would say I applied for probably over 100 in the mm-hmm. course of three months. And a lot of them were lofty. And, and I did consider the Hornets one a little bit lofty. It was the internship at the time. So I applied whenever I saw it and I didn't quite know what it entailed, but I still applied. And I sent 
um, Jace Darling an email, our senior production coordinator, and Matt Ruchinski, our digital media manager, our, our guy, our leader, our fearless leader. Mm-hmm. And I just said, and, and I, and you know, and a lot of it is doing your background research, right? Before yeah. you email someone, you don't just say, hi, I'm this person. I applied for this. <laughs> you know, you got to try to find a way to connect to the people. So I knew at the time that the Hornets were in summer league. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's how, that's why I said, I know you guys are in Vegas right now. You're busy covering the team for summer league, but whenever you get back, I'd appreciate, you know, maybe setting up a call, maybe whatever, you know, just getting in touch with you guys after. And it, and it just turned out that, um, the way that you're able to create a conversational tone, even through email and to connect with the people in a way that they like to be able to just say, I know you guys are at summer league that shows that you're invested in what they're doing and you understand what they're doing. Um, so I eventually got a call back, said, can we set up an interview? I talked to Jace. Then I talked to Matt, probably similar to your experience. Yeah. Sounds, yeah. It sounds very similar. I think they were in summer league when I did my interviews and stuff like that too. Or right. right after. So, sure. So yeah. Um, that, that's eventually how I got the internship. But what I want to say before that is that I took a job at the Hickory daily record, a local newspaper in my hometown. Now, this was before um, the Hornets got back to me. The point is, is that sometimes you have to take a leap of faith and take a jump before you know what doors are going to open for you. Because during that three months, I didn't think any doors were going to open. Okay, because it had just been such a dry job market. You know, you think, oh my gosh, I just graduated. I thought I've done everything that I need to do to get Mm -hmm. a job in this field. But nothing really works out because it's all about connections and networking. So I eventually just said, I'm going to take a reporting job with our local newspaper. Okay. And I did that for two weeks until the Hornets got back to me and eventually offered me the internship, which at the time was a year long, just through the duration of the season. So point is, you know, I may have made the people at the paper a little bit mad after accepting a job and leaving within two weeks. But at the end of the day, you have to think about your growth and your professionalism and longevity in the field. And and at the time, even though it was just an internship, I felt that that experience with the Hornets would be invaluable going forward and then eventually getting hired the next year because they saw what work I could do. And, and I think that they had some sort of reliability that they had in me and they knew that I was reliable and they knew that I could execute the work. Um, I think that that is how I eventually was able to get hired full time. But that's sort of the story after graduation, getting the internship and then eventually getting the job offer. So I know during your internship, they had a couple of opportunities. You guys had the All-Star Weekend was in Charlotte that year. And then also the ACC tournament was in Charlotte at the Spectrum Center as well. What were covering those events like? Yeah, 100%. And I I could talk about this for hours. And obviously, they're two very different events. Mm -hmm. All-Star Weekend, a very historic event because the event was pulled from Charlotte the first time they had it. Because of the HB2 bill at the time, it was supposed to be in Charlotte, but then um, under Governor Pat McCrory, it was an HB2 situation. So they took the game away from Charlotte. And Mm -hmm. then eventually we had, you know, obviously we had Roy Cooper last year, or the new Democratic governor, and obviously HB2 was reversed. So then the NBA said, okay, we will come back to Charlotte. Last year in 20, or was it 2018, I think? 2018 or 19. Whatever whatever it was, Charlotte did a phenomenal job hosting the all-star weekend. It was just, I think as a digital team, we covered over 60 events in the course of three days. And we just divided and conquered because obviously it's in our city. So we had a lot of people doing different things, whether Mm -hmm. it be our play, not only our players, but you know, Dale Curry, Muggsy, just different people out in the community from, and even, you know, we had other events with our um, executives just going out and about around the city. So we just had Mm -hmm. to be there at every turn. 
I think everyone slept a combined maybe five hours in three days. No, I don't know. It was something crazy, but I remember it was, it it was, it was so tiring, but it was also so rewarding to be able to um, bring these events to life in our city and see how well Charlotte was received, albeit it was a rainy weekend, but uh, it was really well received. I think things went off without a hitch. Um, In terms of the ACC tournament, uh, it was also electric. Uh, Zion came back from a knee injury. I believe it was or the, whenever he blew Mm -hmm. his shoe out, he returned in the ACC tournament. He didn't have to do that. He did. Um, again, Spectrum Center did a tremendous job hosting that tournament. Um, I have to thank Aaron Pittsenberger, our social media manager at the time, for allowing me to be the one that covers the ACC tournament for Spectrum Center accounts. So that was actually what I did was cover the tournament through uh, our social channels on Spectrum Center. So it was, it was just super fun. I mean, if you have any specifics, we can answer it, but I think I've already talked too long on it. But just being able to be in, you know, in the tunnels covering the teams running out to um, tweeting live scores, it was really a learning experience. And at the time, I was an intern, so it meant a lot that that uh, job was entrusted upon me to do that. And I think everyone supported me doing it because they knew how much of a college sports fan that I am. Exactly. That I wasn't. So I put as much as I could into that. And I, and I think the results were really good. So that was just another uh, really good, really good stepping stone for me uh, on the road to in the internship. No, for sure. Plus, I mean, just you with you going to UNC, like you have the ACC connection. So like just being able to do that was something that's definitely a very cool uh, thing. Absolutely. And when, and when Duke beat Carolina by one point in the tournament, in that tournament, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm tweeting, right? So I have to be as objective as I can through the Spectrum Center account. So I, I remember vividly in cat, all caps, I say, down goes Carolina when Duke beat them. And, and, I'm, and I'm reading the comments later on in the night and it's like, well, this isn't very objective and da 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 because there's a lot of Carolina people that follow Spectrum Center, I guess. And, and I'm just like, you don't know how much I didn't want to tweet that. But I, but I had to, you know, it was an emphatic, it was a great game. It was yeah. a lot of adrenaline. So, so I had to be, you know, yeah. dramatic with it in a way. But I'm like, you don't know how bad I didn't want to actually have to say this. So it was Yeah, time. not for sure. I mean, that's something you got to be in sports if you're like an announcer or any part of the media, like you got to be objective, especially if it's on like a national broadcast. I get if it's like the Hornets on Fox Sports Southeast and um, Eric Collins is or making it seem like he wants the Hornets to win. Obviously he does. But if it's on ESPN and Doris Berg and somebody else are covering the game, they shouldn't really be showing favoritism and just showing like if it's a game between the Lakers and Clippers, just they want us have a good game, just announce it in the most fairly or even po- way possible, I guess. No, you're so right. And I think one of the things that I think it's important for people that do work in sports to understand is that if your team that you work for loses, you are on to the next one. You do not fret over that loss. You do not take it home with you. You don't take it personally because if you start doing that, it becomes very stressful. And that's what I did my first year in the league as an intern. You really, you know, really like the Hornets. You want them to win. You took every loss personally. Um, And it can affect your workflow a little bit. So like Mm -hmm. last year, I took a step back and just said, okay, next game next game because the season for us was about development was about the young guys we knew we were going to face uh tough little challenges along the way so yeah just just leave the losses on that day and move on it's all good for sure now that you're with the team full-time what you know what's it like traveling with the team like what's life on the road like for you first it, it was a good experience uh being able to travel with the team last year and see what goes on on the road um First couple road trips, it, we sent a couple people, and I learned from from Jace, he's a very good teacher, 
in terms of what to do in certain situations and what's going to be expected of you. But I think the main thing, uh, and this goes with all teams when you're traveling with them, um, you can't be in awe. You can't, you know, cause you're on their plane, you're in the hotel, whatever. So you, you can't just be in awe of it. You have to act as if you were one, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you have to be professional. You can't, you can't live in the moment too much. You just have to do your job because a lot of the times you're the only one on the road. And if anything from the digital side is needed, that's on you. So a lot of times, even if it's an off day, you got to be ready if something comes up like, Hey, we want to interview Devonte because he just was announced to the rising stars. Can you come down here with a mic and a camera and be ready? So it's always just a constant balancing act of being ready to go mm -hmm. uh, and being counted on and just always having your phone on, I think is the main thing. And then the second thing is that people don't know how teams travel. Teams travel late into the night. You know, if we have an eight o'clock game, oh, yeah. it ends in 11, we're on a plane at, I don't know, midnight going to wherever, Portland, and it's a three hour flight. We don't get in until three, you know, and then we're up the next morning to do an early practice or an early shoot around. So it's just kind of like, kind of like no sleep here. You know, so yeah. it's, it's, it's just a, a really fast paced environment and you have to be really ready for it. You have to be mentally ready for it. So I know that you were at the Hornets last game in Miami when the NBA season was put on pause. What was the vibe like in the arena that night and what was kind of going through your head at the time? And like, I guess with the team as well, as much as you can. Right. So share. if you remember during the time, uh, I think there was the thunder and the jazz mm -hmm. and see that the game was like postponed because Rudy Gobert had contracted the virus. And when that happened, I think that really put the NBA on alert. And I think they made the decision shortly thereafter. Yeah. It was like, it was like that night or like the following day, I think. It was definitely that night because I remember a Woj bomb or a Shams bomb coming mm -hmm. through and said, the NBA season has been either canceled or postponed. I don't remember the exact verbiage of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but when that happened, it, you know, the arena, you started hearing like echoes through the arena, like the fans started seeing it and realizing it. And then, I, you know, I told one of the security people, Hey, you know, this, this is the last game of the season as far as like, they're going to postpone the season. I'm like, what, what? So it was like a mad scramble. It, I mean, it, it was truly a wild, wild experience. And like we had already started the social distancing measures. Yeah before the announcement was made. So like sure. we couldn't go in the locker room at all anyway, mm -hmm. because we were starting the social distancing measures. And then when we talked to coach Borrego before the game, he had a separate podium and we all yeah. had to stay back and ask the questions from back there. Those measures were already in place, but it was just really fascinating that during our game against Miami, the news came down. So I don't know if our players knew, I don't know who knew, but I mean, obviously those of us with a phone knew and it, it was quite, yeah. It was quite a scramble. It was quite a scramble, to be honest with you. I bet. What were some of the ways that the digital team had to kind of think outside the box? Like when the season was put on a hold, they don't have their normal like game day content. So what were some of the things that you guys had to do to kind of come up with ways to create content to still put on the social accounts? Yeah, um, I'll speak for me here because I don't know about everyone else and I don't want to speak on their behalf. But not for sure. if, you look, if you look at our channels and if you look at our content, if anything, we have not slowed down. We have actually picked up. We, we are doing, if not, we are doing just as much as mm -hmm. before the hiatus started. Um, and that speaks to not only our creativity, but our archives that we've created throughout the season. We save everything. We have ideas in, banked up. Um, a, a really big shout out to our social media manager, Diana Biffle. She's, she keeps the content flowing. There's mm -hmm. always something to do. Big shout out to Kyle Kiebert, our production manager, who's always keeping us on track, helping us with time management and assignments and things like that. And then when you 
talk about the graphics side, Jesse DeBolt leads that charge fearlessly uh, through graphics and just, just social ideas and fun TikToks and things like that. Keeping things light. Uh, The meme game is mostly Jesse DeBolt. So oh, yeah. we keep we we keep it rolling over here at Hornets Digital. That that's a hundred percent facts. You better believe it. Oh, for sure. And I, I liked all the at home stuff too that you guys were doing with I know they had JB doing a couple like meal preparations. I know they had John Fokey called a couple. Fokey has been a jack of all trades during all this. Fokey has been at the ready, ready to do anything that we ask of him. He he's done a lot of, of hosting stuff. He's he's been doing his podcast still. He's been voicing over stuff for calls. Um, yeah. it, so he's been doing a lot a lot too. And then obviously Sam Purley has been keeping it going through the Venom side of things. Yeah. A team and true, along yeah. with writing and, and doing interviews and and going and going through everything. So I think everyone's work has not only I, I would venture to say we picked up a little bit just because we are trying to maintain that level that we had during the season. because like we're acting as if we're still playing and we're still putting out that content. So we've, I think it's just been great. No, for sure. I've definitely enjoyed seeing all the content you guys have come up with. What's your favorite part about living in Charlotte? Charlotte, first, I, I grew up an hour from here. So I, I grew up always, always going okay. to Charlotte, going to Hornets games and Panthers games. It's just a great city. I live within walking distance of the arena. Um, so I, can, I, you know, before all this happened, I could walk to work. It, it was a good time. Uh, then when all this hit, you know, I'm kind of in the uptown area and things started to close down and it's just been kind of, been kind of ominous lately but i mean we have great breweries we have great sports in charlotte Mm -hmm. we have a great local media our media is great and and everyone knows who they are and things of that nature so it's just a great town it's not too big it's not too small so it's, it's almost just right and it's one of the fastest growing cities in america and obviously the banking capital of the world all my friends are here so i couldn't imagine being in a better spot right now very thankful to be here what do you think of the NBA restart so far? And what do you like what you're seeing from the bubble so far? The number one thing I like to see out of that bubble is zero positive COVID tests. Oh, for okay. sure. Because that shows me that the NBA has done a terrific job of, of managing what they're doing down there. And I think it's a big step because you see in baseball, a lot of things are happening that, that aren't controlled. Okay. Yeah. The team, whole teams are, you know, Catching the virus, yeah. Catching it, and it's just, but it just shows you how much of a tight ship the NBA has run down there in Orlando, and they really thought it out, and they took the time to do it correctly. Um, and while at the beginning of it all, you saw the players, you know, posting meals and stuff and yeah, whatever. But like now, it just, it seems like a well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. And they've done a great job incorporating the virtual fans into mm-hmm. it. I was watching Houston, Milwaukee the other night, about a week ago, I think it was. I'm not even kidding you. The Houston crowd noise that they were making when Houston made like an 11-0 run in the fourth quarter, yeah. it felt like they were there. So I, I yeah. think the NBA has done as much as they can do to make it uh, a good environment for not only the players, but to keep uh, all the workers safe and, and the fans engaged. It's been a great, great restart in Orlando. For sure. And the NHL is the same way. Like They've had zero positive tests out of the thousands that they've done. And it's just it's awesome to see the two commissioners with Adam Silver and Gary Bettman step up and create the environment where they can create a high level sports product for the fans to engage with. And uh, cause I know the players wanted to play. I mean, that's probably, that's the whole reason why they're there. Cause I mean, if the players didn't want to be there, like to go after a championship, they wouldn't be there. So it's just great to see the NHL and the NBA step up and create these bubbles for the players to finish their se- respective seasons. And 100%. we'll get a champion out of those leagues. All right, let's cover the first round 
of the NBA playoffs. The matchups are pretty much set. I know they still have the toss-up between the eight and the nine seed in the West for the play-in game, but the East is set. Um, let's go over who we think is going to win each first-round series and then who you think is going to come out of it at the end. First off, let's go with the Eastern Conference, the one and the eight seed, Bucks and Magic. I'm going to go Bucks. Let's go Bucks and let's go ahead and skip the Raptors one too because the Raptors are going to take care Raptors of Raptors and Nets, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Celtics and Sixers. I think the Celtics are the better team. I mean, obviously, the Sixers don't have Ben Simmons, so that's a blow to their team. I mean, the Sixers are still a pretty solid team, though. But Yeah, it's interesting. They have good wing defense. Josh Richardson um, can match up with Tatum and, and things like that. And you don't know uh, – I don't know what the situation is with Kimba. He's played limited minutes ever since the bubble began. So what is that situation? And then Embiid, you know, he's he's been a little banged up too. Yeah. Uh, you got Tobias Harris over there with the Sixers. So I don't know. There's there's some star power on both sides, but I, I think the better – I think Brad Stevens is probably a little bit better coach than Brett Brown. I think he'll have yeah. a better game plan. Um, and they have a little bit more talent right now, at least healthy. Yeah, for sure. So let's go Celtics in that one. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, Heat and Pacers. Yeah. <laughs> How about this matchup? TJ Warren versus Jimmy Butler. Give me yeah, all right. seven of these. Give me right. seven of these, man. I, I give me all seven. Uh, look, TJ's had a great little run here in the bubble, but at the end of the day, Jimmy Butler is a dog on defense, and he was not going to let TJ Warren uh-huh. win, win the series. And I think the Heat – are probably one of the more deep teams in in the playoffs. Oh, for sure. Like from top to bottom. I mean, Drogic off the bench, Duncan Robinson. I don't know if Duncan Robinson comes off the bench or starts, yeah. but um, just really deep team uh, from top to bottom. And Spolstra is obvious. I'm in my for my money for uh, sure. Spolstra's a top five NBA coach uh, and has been for a while. So yeah, um, give me the heat in that one for sure. And they even have Tyler Hero. Um, yeah, PJ's yeah. buddy from Kentucky, and he's just a really solid player as well. Coming off really good rookie, really good. So, but yeah, all right, let's switch over to the West. We've got the at the one seed, the Lakers versus either the Blazers, the Suns, or the Grizzlies. Like we're not sure. I think the Spurs are still even. Well, we pretty but they're sure they're not going to make the playoffs. We'll see. I'm they hoping the Suns, but we'll see. But yeah. Even if it's Lakers and Blazers, that's going to be one heck of a series. I still think the Lakers are going to come out on top, but it's going to be one heck of a dogfight. It's going to be tough. They're they're the one team that matches up the Lakers pretty well. Um, I think the Clippers do as well, but obviously they wouldn't see them until later. But that would be one tough matchup. I mean, the Lakers haven't – I mean, they were a great team in the regular season, but in the bubble they haven't looked – as great as they did during the regular season. I mean, obviously, I understand they stopped for four months or something like that, but just they haven't looked like themselves. I think part of it – look, we know how LeBron does. LeBron has sort of taken a step back here as the bubble began and evaluated what's going on. He's kind of starting to feel it out a little bit. So I I don't think – they have played poorly. I don't think it's going to continue. However, if they do match up with the Blazers – there's one weakness of the LA Lakers, and that is defending good guard play. Now, mm-hmm. what does Portland present? It's Two guards. Just tremendous guard play from CJ and Dame. Now, CJ has a broken bone in his back, from what I'm hearing. He's played through it, but he hasn't played well. If you look at since yeah. the injury happened, he has not played well. So I still think for the Blazers to have a shot in the series, <laughs> CJ is going to have to capture some of what he's done, so what we're accustomed to seeing from him. Yeah. So the level that Dame is playing, that's good enough to beat the Lakers in combination with CJ. Because if you remember for the Lakers, Avery Bradley is not in Orlando. 
their and Rajon Rondo isn't either, or he's hurt. Right, so. he is hurt. So they they are going to struggle to defend the guard play. Although Danny Green is a good defender, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I mean, obviously Dame can't be covered in many instances. No. So uh, it's going to be tough. And then you know, you look at but but the, on the flip side, Anthony Davis is going to mm-hmm. be able to take advantage of Portland inside, although they have Nurkic and Whiteside. So mm-hmm. I think Whiteside can play a big factor in this series. Whiteside hasn't played a lot of minutes for Portland, but I think when facing a player like Anthony Davis, rim protection is going to be very important. Oh, for sure. So I don't know. It, I don't know. It's going to be tough. It's going it's to be really interesting. I don't think people, people are just kind of writing the Lakers in, like, yeah, it'll be a tough series, but Lakers going to win. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. This is a shooting yeah. gym, David. I mean, it's 2020, like anything is possible. So, so just, I mean, just be on the lookout. All right, Clippers and Dallas. I'm going to go Clippers on that one. But Dallas is a solid team. They got Luka, Porzingis. Um, I still like the Clippers, though, with Kawhi. And yeah, PG. yeah. If you look at it, this could be the best series of the first round. I mean, on paper, Luka and Porzingis versus Kawhi, PG. It's going to be a great series. I think the Clippers are better defensively because that is where Dallas is not – very good is defensively yeah. Clippers can turn their defense yeah. up I uh, yeah. got you know sweet Lou coming off the bench and yeah hopefully Montrez Harrell's back for them I think so. I think he's coming back pretty soon yeah plus, they they're the, him. plus they're the deeper team of the two as well just with the bench play yeah love Rick Carlisle for Dallas but um I just think Clippers slightly more talented and deeper for sure all right I think it's a three and the six Nuggets or the Jazz I that's tough. I mean, that's another toss-up too. Like both, I think both the teams are playing well in the bubble. My gut is telling me Nuggets, but like I wouldn't be surprised to see the Jazz upset them. I'll go Nuggets. I, I think um, they're the one of the best teams no one's heard about. Yeah. You know, when you think of the Nuggets, you think of Jokic, but you really go down the line. They've got a lot of like Michael players. Porter Jr. Uh, Bull Bull is turning out to be a pretty solid addition this year. Paul Millsap, Paul very Millsap. savvy veteran, very good player still. Uh, Murray at point mm-hmm. guard, one, one of you know top, you know probably a top I don't know ten to twelve point guard in the league, depending on how you look at it. His numbers certainly suggest it. So yeah, I'll take the Nuggets in this one. Yeah, me too. All right. Thunder and the Rockets. Okay, the Thunder. CP3 is a quiet MVP candidate is what I've been saying all year. He's quietly played super well. Billy Donovan has coached uh, exceptionally this year. Uh, The development of Shea Gilgis-Alexander has been phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uh, Steven Adams, been phenomenal. One of the strongest players in the league. I don't want to see him in a dark alley. Um, no. With that being said, uh, the news came out today. Russell Westbrook is going to potentially miss the first few games of the series, which is huge. very, very huge. And if you if you also remember, this is a revenge series for CP3 because mm-hmm. the Rockets sort of traded him. You know, yeah. so yeah. very interesting, very interesting matchup. Um, yeah. If I had to take one, I'm taking the Rockets because the way that they can break down defenses. Okay, especially yeah. in this bubble. What do the Rockets do, David? What's their they number sh- one thing? Shoot threes. They shoot threes. What is this gym? This is a small gym, okay? There's walls. It's a shooter's gym. Dame said it. It's easier to shoot threes in the gym. So the combination of Harden and Westbrook when he's back, breaking down defenses, getting open threes, they're made for the bubble. The Rockets can, can take this thing all the way. We'll take yeah, the I still – I've liked the Thunder for a while – um, I think they're my sleeper team for the West. I mean, I think this will definitely be a good series. I don't know. Like, I think the talent on the Rockets is a little bit better, but I don't know. My gut's telling me to go with the Thunder. I don't know why, but... Then take them. You take yeah, the Thunder, I'll take, I'll take the, the Rockets, we'll and we'll talk about it later. Sounds good. 
So we are now getting into the rapid fire question part of the podcast. So Nick, who is your favorite athlete of all time? We're going with Steve Smith here, Carolina Panthers, Hall of Fame wide receiver. When he played the game, you were going to feel him. You were going to feel his energy, his passion, and his intensity every single snap. Not one person that lined up against Steve Smith wanted to be there. Steve Smith was going to make your day on the football field very, very unpleasant. And if you're not a Panthers fan, you're not going to like Steve Smith, okay, because he will get in your face. There will be scuffles, and it will be a physical, physical matchup between the receiver and the corner on that day. And it oftentimes took two people to guard him. So I just really enjoyed watching Steve Smith play the game. And since Steve Smith has moved on from the Panthers, the Panthers have not really had a legit number one since he left. Mm -hmm. So good times when Smitty was in Carolina. All right. Favorite city you've ever traveled to or been to? Yeah, I I think Chicago is the one that stands out to me. Uh, It's a very clean city. Uh, It's always briskly cold. They have good sports. They have good, great food, great food city. So I think Chicago is up there for me. Good pizza too. Great pizza. I, I, you know, I do prefer a little New York, but this is good. Me too. Um, favorite sports moment you've ever witnessed in person? I don't know. I think the Carolina Duke game at uh, Spectrum Center in the ACC tournament was just really, really exceptional. It was just a great environment between half the crowd being Duke fans, half the crowd being Carolina fans, and yeah. just hearing the roars. I mean, that is, that is one of the loudest times I've ever heard Spectrum Center. Okay, And it was half fans for one team and half fans for the other. And yeah. It was just electric environment. Uh, a really, really cool moment to witness um, on a neutral site, right? Because it wasn't, yeah. a Duke, it wasn't a Carolina, but it was still in North Carolina in a neutral yeah. site. Fantastic environment. That was probably at the top of the list. Not for sure. I mean, it's in the heart of ACC country. Like, Yep. Yep. So, all right. Favorite NBA arena outside of the Spectrum Center? I think, I think being at Madison Square Garden was surreal, right? It yeah. may not be the newest arena. It may not be the most high-tech arena, but it was really surreal, the bus pulling in and you having to walk up the big ramp. You know, they don't have stairs or elevators. It's like all the players even walked up this huge ramp to go up to the, the ground level almost. So just a really unique experience. And Devontae Graham also hit the game-winning three when we were there. So it really – Oh, yeah, I remember arena. that. Yeah, and it's also kind of a smaller arena almost. It's like you feel like – it's not like it doesn't go up super high. It's just kind of all flat and it just feels a little yeah. different. So I really like that. What do you watch on like, what's your favorite show on Netflix? Or like, what are you watching on Netflix right now? So during quarantine, I have watched Breaking Bad again for the second time. Watched the next season of Ozark, which Ozark is probably a really good show. We're going to recommend that. I watched the new season of Money Heist, aka La Casa de Papel, one of my, one of my all-time favorite shows. But right now I'm watching Better Call Saul just yeah. because I, I never really got into it after I finished Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. But with nothing better to watch on Netflix right now, I'm giving it another shot. So I'm in season one. I'll update you on how it's going. Right okay. now it's a little slow. Not not really too into it, but I'm going to give it a shot. That's awesome. Yeah, I think my first guest said he was a big fan of Breaking Bad. Um, and he, he watched Better Call Saul and he liked it as much as Breaking Bad, if not more. So... Yeah, I'm one of those traditionalists. I, I just don't see how they can top Breaking Bad and the storyline and stuff. But we'll see. I'm gonna, I'm, like I said, I'm giving it a shot. Might we'll see how it goes. Uh, favorite food or meal? Anything Tex-Mex, tacos, nachos, queso, guacamoles, enchiladas, whatever. 
hitting yeah. with all the Tex-Mex stuff. Mexican yeah. food? No, not Mexican food. Tex-Mex. Or Tex-Mex? Okay. Tex-Mex, a little fresher, not as heavy, not as drenched in sauces and salts. Like Tex-Mex, yeah. a little lighter, I think. Yeah. Just my opinion on it. I don't know if that's true or not, but in my experience, that's what I like. Um, Favorite type of Jordans? Like, what's your favorite model? I, I like the ones, the lows. Yeah, me too. Now, I want the ones that are Carolina blue, mm-hmm. but you can't find them. And if you mm-hmm. do find them, you're paying thousands. Yeah. So I'm still in the market. If any of these listeners can help me get a pair, let's make it happen. Hit me up. <laughs> right? Yeah. What's your favorite artist or just your favorite, like what type of music are you listening to right now? I don't know, Dave. I pride myself on being very diverse in my music selection. Okay. So I like R&B. I like pop. I like rap. I like smooth jazz. I like all of it. Um, I have a lot of just, if if I sent you my playlist, you would be confused because it's all just a big mix. It just depends on what mood I'm in. But, you know, classically, I like Motown, like a lot of Motown. Yeah. It keeps you, keeps it light, keeps the mood good. Um, Mm -hmm. But then other times I like rap, little Young Dolph. You ever heard of Young Dolph? No, I have not. What's up, Flippa? No. <laughs> so that's one of the ones I like too. So I, I like it all. That's awesome. Um, if you could have a meal with anyone past or present, who would it be and why? Who do you think it would be? Roy Williams. Michael Roy Williams. Michael? Absolutely. Roy. Oh, wow. Nope. Roy. Roy is one of the most genuine people I've ever met. Roy looks to help everyone, no matter how big or small you are. Um, I can't thank Roy enough for just entertaining us when I was there in school, just being able to answer our questions, willing to give time for us to do content and just things like that. And you just don't see that with other college coaches. I mean, you don't see Coach K talking to the students <laughs> and the student media, right? But Roy knows we're, we're there to to do a task and to learn and to grow. And the program was always great in letting us have that access. So Roy Williams, just one all around one of the best people um, I've ever met. That's awesome. Favorite player on the NBA that's not with the Hornets currently? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. You know, working for a team, you you, you learn the players pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, you see them and you used to say, wow, you know, I'd love for that player to do well. And they're a good person and, and you see that kind of stuff. But I like I like players that are really role players. I, you know, I'm not a big superstar person. I love to see good role players playing a role. Mm-hmm. And a few of those, like Jay Crowder, for example, mm-hmm. really good role player. You love to see him put in his work. Um, I love what Jaws doing in Memphis. Oh yeah, I, I, I'm kind of rooting for D'Angelo Russell in Minnesota. Yeah. I want to see him do well because you know I, that situation in in Golden State was interesting. You know, he was the lead guy in Brooklyn and took him to the playoffs, and then gets traded, and then you know, yeah. didn't work out in Golden State. So you root for guys like that. Uh, to do well. And then Steven Adams is another one that comes to mind. Just a really, really funny guy. Oh, I love him. Really cool. Really goes about everything the right way. So yeah, yeah. those are some of the players I and mean, we could keep going, but those are the ones that come to mind. So with you being a Carolina guy and being a Panthers fan, what was your original reaction to the Patriots signing Cam Newton? How much do you think Cam will improve the Patriots this year from what they were? First and foremost, it wasn't if, it was when he was going to sign with New England. I I think that people knew that that was an obvious destination because no matter how much the Patriots say we like Jared Stidham, Jared Stidham ain't Cam Newton, brother. He ain't Cam Newton, and he can't do what Cam Newton can do, especially a healthy Cam Newton. So I don't want to hear it from all these Patriots fans saying, well, Stidham's good. No, he's not. If he was good, he would be playing, okay? Cam Newton took 13 reps in training camp yesterday. 
So Cam is still working his way up through the ranks. Mm-hmm. So, but what I am telling you is you're getting a guy, there is no one in the NFL that has outworked Cam Newton in the past year. There is not one player who has done more work than Cam Newton has to get back than Cam has. So in terms of what the ceiling is for the Patriots, I think you're still the favorite to win the division, mm-hmm. although you've had a lot of players opt out on defense. Yeah, that's troublesome. Our, one of our main linebackers, Dante Hightower, opted out. Our starting right tackle, and then I think a couple others. More, more did. Uh, Chung, Patrick uh, Chung. Yeah, Patrick Chung did. Like a bunch of other players did. So, so that's worrisome. But at the end of the day, Let's be honest, in Carolina, Cam worked with a lot worse yeah. <laughs> than he's got now. So I think that you're going to see – I don't think your offense misses a beat. In fact, I see an improvement in your running game because Cam Newton has the illusion to run, and he's going to mm-hmm. open up things for your running backs, where in the past, you know, Tom Brady goes to the I formation with a fullback, and it's like handoff, and it's just basic zone block run scheme, okay? With Cam Newton, you can add a lot more things into it, Josh yeah. McDaniels can get a lot more creative yeah. and diverse with his running game and with his yeah. play action passing. Cam Newton yeah. is one of the best play action passers in the NFL. Just everything is on the table here for McDaniels. He's got the keys to a Ferrari. Okay. Tom Brady was good, but he ain't Cam Newton in terms of the things he can do. Mm. Okay. And I know y'all like Brady and all, but you're gonna you're gonna be refreshed. You're gonna get one of those Starbucks refreshers, mango passion fruit. You got Cam Newton now. You got a lot of flavor in your offense now. Teams aren't, teams aren't going to know what's coming. It might take teams half a season to even figure out what the Patriots are doing. Because you know Bill. Bill's going to come out weekly with a new game plan. Yeah. And he may run the ball 80 times. Or he may pass it 80 times. You don't know. So I'm thoroughly excited to see what happens with Cam in New England. And uh, I speak for all of us here in Carolina. We wish him the best. We hope he goes 16-0 and goes all the way to the Super Bowl. That's what we hope from Cam Newton. We're rooting for him. I hope so, too. Um, and definitely it'll help the defense out as well during practice because, I mean, they're, they're going to face a lot of mobile QBs in the schedule this year. I think they're facing Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, and then a couple of others as well. I think Patrick Mahomes. So, like, it'll just help them prepare because they haven't really had a guy on the roster that can be a dual threat like that before to go up against before a game. So that'll definitely be useful as well. Um, I think he's going to do pretty well. So, or at least that's what I'm hoping. If he's 75% of his full ability from not even his MVP year, but like just before that, like he'll be a pretty solid QB one. So it's just going to be learning the playbook and everything else like that too. uh, If you think about it though, David, Bill Belichick is one of the best defensive coaches in the league. Oh yeah. So you see all these players opting out on defense. Okay. That's all well and good. Bill is still going to find a way to – to make the defense good enough to win games. Now that he has the keys to Cam Newton on offense, and if Cam stays healthy, he is the leader for uh, comeback player of the year, if, if Cam stays healthy. If you remember, sure. from the time of 2011 when Cam entered the league, and I think it was 2016 or 17, Cam was top five in the NFL in rushing touchdowns. With, that includes running backs, okay? Like top five with Marshawn Lynch's, LaShawn McCoy's mm-hmm. of the world. Like, he was top five in that area. So I think people forget that. And I, and I know he's 30 or, or 31 or whatever he is, but he's basically taking a year off, and he's trained, and, and he's vegan, and he's healthy, and he's limber. Be ready. I don't think New England knows what's coming. Just be ready. It's going to be electric. You're going to feel the electricity. I hope so. I know so, because mm-hmm. we know what Cam is. We, we know. You're going to find out. And you're okay. going to love it. Okay. 
What do you think about the rest of the NFC South? Like, what are your predictions for that division this year? It's tough to predict. It's tough. You don't know what Brady's going to do in Tampa. You don't know what Teddy's going to do in Carolina. Yeah. You know, we hope Teddy can be something, but, you know. Yeah. We don't know. The defense is the youngest in the league. I think it's average age of 22 or 23. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's, it's a really young defense. Like, like our age. <laughs> every, every single pick in the draft was defense. Every single pick. So that shows you the needs, especially after retirement of Luke Keekley and things like that. I think the Saints are probably still up there, even though they'll choke in the playoffs, uh, as always. And then uh, you got Atlanta. Atlanta's still got firepower offensively. They signed Gurley. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a very good division. It's, it might be the best division in football if you look at it from top to bottom with the Panthers being maybe the worst right now, but they could end up being right there in the thick of things in the end. You got a new regime with Matt rule, you got a a good owner and David Tepper. So I love it. I love, I love it. We'll see what happens. It's going to be a fantastic season Uh, in the NFL. It's going to be very volatile. You don't know what's going to happen. So for sure. Can I do like a last statement? Yeah, for sure. So in college, Trey Wingo was who, you know, Trey Wingo, he was, uh, he heads, ESPN NFL draft coverage. He's the host of NFL Live, or used to be. He's now he was the host of Golik and Wingo on ESPN Radio. You'd know him if you looked him up. Anyways, mm-hmm. he worked for ESPN in Bristol. Um, I connected with him in college, and one of the things that he told me that really stuck with me, David, was don't let anyone ever tell you no. As I've kind of covered earlier about my professor story and yeah that kind of thing. But he said, don't let anyone ever tell you no. You decide when your dreams are over. Don't let anyone else do it for you. And I think since this is a podcast about people in the sports industry, it is very competitive and it is very tough to land jobs in the sports field. But all it takes is one person to believe in you to do something. And mm-hmm. that's, that, you know, that's why I'm here with the Hornets. That's why a lot of people are in where they are. Um, but you, you just decide when your dreams are over. Don't let someone else do it for you. Don't be discouraged. It only takes one time to be told yes to, mm-hmm. to do it. And then my second piece of advice that I like to tell people and that I tell myself all the time, this is what I always tell myself, a lot of times people are not going to remember the work that you do, okay? Because we do so much work, right? Mm -hmm. They're not going to remember the time you made this video or the time you did this. What they are going to remember is the way that you made them feel. And if you make people feel a certain way, they're going to remember that. They're going to remember the way you treated them. They're going to remember a moment where you were there and the way that you made them feel. Did you do things the right way? And that's what I always ask myself. Did I do things the right way? Did I handle the situation correctly? And did I make the person feel important? And that is the main goal that I have, not only in my profession, but in everyday life. Make people feel good and put yourself second. And things will always work out for you after that. And that is my main advice. All right, Nick, thanks for coming on the show today. It was really awesome to talk to you, um, getting to hear about your experience with the Hornets and in the NBA in general. Do you want to give the listeners a way to be able to connect with you and see what you are creating for the Hornets? Yeah, I think, I think the best way, uh, I mean, you can follow all the teams in the league, but we're at Hornets. It's very simple. If you want to see what we're doing, um, we're certainly having a good time over here. My personal social on Twitter is at Nick Bolick, B-O-L-I-C-K. Three, number three, at Nick Bullock three, and on Instagram at Nick Bullock. Um, I think, like I said, David, I think you're doing a really good job with the podcast. It's giving people a platform to tell their stories because stories are the backbone of what we do. We mm-hmm. are storytellers, but being able to tell stories about how people get to where they get to um, and their experiences, I think it's going to help other people in the industry. 
So I think that's the goal of the podcast, right? Yeah. What, you know, you say, what was your one play? Well, there's a, oftentimes there's many plays. So mm-hmm. being able to tell those stories, I think can help other people. And I appreciate you giving people the opportunity to speak on these things. I'm glad to do it. Yeah, I've seen it as a good way to continue or to continue to grow my skills as a storyteller, because even if I'm not necessarily with a team right now or have a full time video job, like I'm still able to learn how to how to better interview people, like get the right questions asked and stuff like that. And I just feel like it'll help my storytelling abilities down the road for sure. Well, Nick, thanks for coming on the show today. I'll have to have you back on again soon. And maybe we can bring a couple others of the uh, digital team on to have a conversation at some point soon. Absolutely. For All sure. right. Well, I'll see you later. All right. Talk to you. All right. Bye. See yeah. guys that about wraps up today's episode if you have any questions please feel free to dm me and i'll always be happy to get back to you be sure to follow the podcast on all of its social media platforms also be sure to follow rate and subscribe to the podcast whether you're listening to it on apple Podcasts or spotify it helps out a lot with the ratings and i would really appreciate it i hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and i will see you next time for another exciting interview